Shake the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh yeah! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. Wow. Kyle, you've already done that one. You've I already was, done a little g-g-g-g-g-g-g stutter. I know. I, as soon as I started doing it, I, I, I didn't come prepared. So I just kind of, I guess I defaulted to my, um, to the default. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, that might be your brand now. That might be like... That's my Roger were, Daltrey. That's my yes. Roger Daltrey. <laughs> I was going to say, if you were maybe like a shock jock radio DJ, yeah. that might be the no, thing was, you always do That was supposed to be my morning. generation. Oh, that was supposed to be your generation? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's somewhat disappointing. I believe a little more strongly in your generation than a g-g-g-g-g-gordon at the end of your name, <laughs> personally. <laughs> this is Kick the Jukebox. This is the musicology podcast where we delve into a album of the week that we both care about and want to talk a little bit more about. And it's also ex- an exploration of our friendship and continuing love of music. You can rate and review us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcatchers. Um, normally we start this talk about like how we're doing and what music we've been listening to this week. I'm just going to I'm not going to talk about any music I've been listening to this week because I've been really kind of uh, focusing on the events of the week. It's June 6th, and this has been a week of protest and like civil uprising and change around uh, the matters of the equity and autonomy of African-American people in our society. So I just want to say that there's this really cool charity that I recommend. If you like the podcast, I think you should donate to that I learned about this week. It's called the F2L Relief Fund. And what the F2L Relief Fund does is it gives a budget for incarcerated trans people of color, trans and queer people of color, to purchase items like food and toiletries and also things like gender-affirming clothes and certain electronics and other items that are only available for purchase when you're in prison. And it helps them uh, allow to uh, live their their lives of of however they identify gender wise while they're incarcerated. So if you want to learn more about them, you can learn more about them at f2lreliefund.com. Uh, that being said, Kyle, what music have you been listening to, man? Nice, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure, um, of course. Randomly, I have been. Well, I think it's because during quarantine, it's been really fun. I've been playing the guitar a lot, and I've like it. been getting better at the guitar for the first time since i was probably like 13 years old proud of you Um, and like thank you thank you thank you so i've been doing like a lot of finger picking stuff so randomly unrelated to kind of the events of this week just in terms of music i've been listening to a lot of country music Mm because it's i mean i love country music it's like good and fun and easy to play and kind of come up with your own like finger picking stuff so I, i actually just thought of something I want to mention, um, first of all, I was listening to this incredible country folk singer, guitar player. Her name is Elizabeth Cotton, and she has this, um, I was kind of trying to learn this uh, finger-picking style. She is like a black female guitar player from like 
I guess, I mean, she died in the 70s, mm-hmm. but it was like one of those things of like people didn't rediscover her music until, you know, 40 years later or whatever. And she is a self-taught like guitar savant, like the most amazing finger-picking guitar. And you, the, her most famous song is called Freight Train. And she actually, she's a lefty guitar player, but she had bought a righty guitar. So she learned to play the guitar upside down. So mm-hmm. the it went from like the high strings to the low strings and she has this just incredible style. So I guess my, my only recommendation this week in terms of things I've been listening to is Elizabeth cotton. It is, that is like stunningly beautiful and like really good, like country folk style singer songwriter guitar stuff and i would argue that on this podcast we're fans of like either alternative tuning techniques which we've talked about before true or also yeah. just like alternative ways of using an instrument in a way yes. you wouldn't expect a hundred percent so that's just like another good kind of you know example of the firmament of what we of what we're into as as music fans for sure so the album of the week is by uh, burning spear and it's marcus garvey and this was brought to us this week. This is this is Kyle, one of your fav, favorite albums. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you get into to this album? And I'd love if you would talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, how did I get into it? I think I just I've always loved Jamaican music. I think a lot of people do, but I, I've always really loved Jamaican music. And I think since college I've really just tried to learn more about like the full i i i think i the 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 phrase and term reggae is really um imprecise so i and there's a a whole suite of jamaican music that starts really in the 60s Mm -hmm. i would say 50s and 60s and goes right up till today and you know talk about a country like punching above their weight class, not in terms of quality, of course, but in terms of, you know, how many people are in Jamaica? Eight million? Yeah. You know, nine million. And it's some of the most unique, dynamic, influential music in the history of 20th century music. That's correct. And it's just, it's so dynamic and so responsive to other global trends, but it's always unique. It's just... Incredible. And it's always cool. It's all, and not because of anything. It just, they've, something about Jamaican music, they've always been able to um, reinterpret global music in just such an amazing way. Um, but then I, I, I really got into the history of Jamaican music. And I think this album comes from probably my favorite period of Jamaican music, which is like 70s. You'd probably yeah, call it like 70s mid 70s like roots reggae period like this is the height of like bob marley's uh catch a fire and you know like the the this kind of coincided what right with the rise of bob marley and this is one of those albums that came out right as reggae was really going global or jamaican music was going global and so i think this is like my favorite period of jamaican music maybe but uh i think i just came through came up came upon it just through my just general love of Jamaican music. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's, it's a really good record. I think for people that want to get more into roots reggae because Mm -hmm. it is so accessible and yes, and it is, it is a record that at its core is a way to make history 
and the history of the black diaspora, mm -hmm. uh, you know, very accessible and easy to understand for a wide audience, which is, which is really, it's, it's such a, it's such a good educational tool. I feel in terms of the, the content of the record, to, it's very understandable, but it's very powerful. The, the, the messages that are laid out in, in the content of the, of the album. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's a really good point because if you look at the history of this album, it came out late 1975 and it was distributed distributed internationally by Island Records yeah. um, by Chris Blackwell, who we've talked about many times. Well, a few, actually, maybe, I don't know how we many times. We talked about him one or two times, but <laughs> one we or two times. recently talked about him. Very recently, I guess, yeah. Uh, with uh, our John Martin episode because he also worked with John Martin uh, as well. Uh, yeah. They distributed it uh, internationally. And yeah, it, you know, they, uh, they were apparently, and Louis and I, we were not able to find the original Jamaican um, mix of this album. Um, apparently it was released, but I'm sure it's worth $40 jillion yeah. if you can find it. But n apparently the mix that was released internationally was a lot slicker and more access meant to be more accessible to an international audience. I, I guess this is the, um, maybe the, like, you know, we're getting the best and worst of Chris Blackwell. Um, yes. I don't know the, maybe the, well, who knows, maybe we hear the Jamaican mix and it's not that good. Who knows? But like, that's fair. Um, Cause we haven't heard it. So we can't really comment on it. But, but what we can say, what we do know is that burning spear himself was very, not, yeah. he wasn't happy with, the, with the mix that was primarily, made for a white audience and he considers the mix um like less harsh than his original mix was right uh, so maybe the mix the way that it's balanced uh, is a little more confrontational and maybe a little more gritty but we don't know because we did look for it this week and we can't find it yeah so, um, you know that's that's the way that goes but and, uh, you know, that's from his his mouth himself yeah and i'm sure that the the mix that we heard which is objectively great it's amazing it it's is really good. well it's done. a good record yeah yeah and i and, and we're and i'm sure you know like if it's your own art you're 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 particular about it but like you know i'm sure chris blackwell's instincts were informed by his success with an experience with bob marley who was the one who was and, and also jimmy cliff like these are people who yep. weren't the, we have like, covered on this show before yes yep. and yeah jimmy cliff yeah um and the, the harder they come soundtrack and yes. that those were those jimmy cliff and bob marley that was this those were the two that introduced jamaican music to the world really mm -hmm. and reggae specifically and so i think he, he was like we have to follow this template and i i'm just saying that's probably what informed his decision to release the the mix that we know and love <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely so just to backtrack a little bit because i feel like it's always important for listeners of the podcast who maybe be, are a little less familiar with this artist and with this album, let's just give a little kind of, let's do a little Burning Spear 101 here. Yeah. So Burning Spear was born as Winston Rodney. He was born in 1948 in St. Anne's Bay in Jamaica. By the way, just a side note, I always love doing these because I feel like I'm doing a book report and I'm okay <laughs> with any band that we cover on the show. By the uh, way, I'll, 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 uh, chime in. He was born in St. Anne's Bay, the same place that Marcus Garvey was born. 
Oh, that is super cool. And we're going to talk more about Marcus Garvey. Of course. I'll hold off. I'll hold off. Yeah, yeah. Who, I'm ready. Who, I'm re- just let me out of the pen. I'm ready who, to go. Yeah, who was an <laughs> early black activist from the turn of the century. Uh, and so Bob Marley was also from St. Anne's and connected Winston Rodney to uh, Consone Dodd at Studio One, uh, which was a label uh, that the Whalers had been on previously, and he thought it was a really great place for newer uh, reggae artists to get their start. Winston Rodney and his singing partner, Rupert Willington, the, uh, they adopted the name Burning Spear as a group, but then like that group was still together when this album was released, but that group broke up, and then Winston Rodney himself started calling himself Burning Spear. Right. And Burning Spear, the name has some really cool historical significance. Really cool. It was the name uh, bestowed upon Jomo Kenyatta, who was the Mau Mau leader who became the president of Kenya. Like, that's something about Burning Spear, the man, is that, like, he was, like, really well positioned in terms of his background mm-hmm. as, a, like, member of the Rastafarian religion as, like, and as a historian to mm-hmm. create a, an album that was really accessible for people to learn a lot about you know, heritage and, and history. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think we also need, to, and I think the, the name Burning Spear perfectly um, positions the man Burning Spear in the context of the time and the particular political context of Pan-Africanism. And this is right on the heels of independence, not only for Jamaica in mm-hmm. 1962, but also um, the initial wave of African independence, and you have these leaders um, like Jomo Kenyatta, you know, even uh, you know in Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, like people that are this first wave of optimism and hope for Pan-African unity, and a lot of the sentiments, not only in the Rastafarian religion, but also particularly on this album, are informed by that particular political context yeah and that moment in in the history in the history kenyatta is a huge figure in that movement kind of an unimpeachable a a big hero of mine too and someone who kind of was there for every stage of that first wave of african independence um and also you know like you know even in the the nation of islam people uh you know uh with Malcolm X, a lot of them took the name Kenyatta in in honor of Jomo Kenyatta. Mm -hmm. And Marcus Garvey was one of the early black activists to introduce ideas of Pan-Africanism. So it all kind of ties back to that. And this is a great uh, album if you want to learn the roots of the Pan-Africanist movement. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So Burning Spear as a group had some hits in Jamaica before this, but this was like a huge breakout album for them. It really swept Jamaica with, with like a real fervor and was, was a real cultural moment for the, for the music and the movement. And that, I think, is what got them on the radar of Island Records, mm-hmm. who decided to release it for an international audience. And like when we say international audience... There was definitely, I think, a fear-based response from Chris Blackwell to somehow smooth the album out for, like, quote-unquote, white, white music audiences. You know, I just feel like it's important to, like, say, that, like, that's what we're talking about with international audiences. That was sort of the money that they were trying to... Those were the album sales they were going after, the revenue. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that that's a, a really good point, not only about the, the intended audience and 
you know, even comparing this album, this is such a pivotal album because, you know, whereas Bob Marley was just to give, sorry, to give a little context. No, please. With yeah, the making music in the seventies, we, we think of Bob Marley now, you know, you can buy like Bob Marley, you know, socks at Target. That's right. But, um, but in the early 70s, Bob Marley not only represented the explosion of Jamaican music internationally, but also he represented in Jamaica a transition from the sounds of rock steady and ska which were popular in the 60s and they were much lighter lyrically they were dance oriented they were fun little love songs and love fun little dance songs which is amazing and it was also revolutionary in the development of jamaican music you know post post independence them you know reclaiming american soul music and making it jamaican uniquely something they have their own unique black jamaican culture and sound yes. which was very important but it was the lyrical content and the nature of the music it was fun dance music which is yes. great and i some of my favorite music ever but and but in the early whalers records were rock steady and scott records but mm. then but in the 70s bob marley took jamaican music into a more explicitly political direction informed by his Rastafarian religion. So Bob Marley was the first one to kind of chart that path, but his music was more nebulous, talking about, in terms of his, like, black nationalist and Rastafarian beliefs, you know, he's talking about, you know, concrete jungle, he's talking about the conditions that Jamaicans are living in, but he's not as explicit about his black nationalist radicalism that I think burning spear is talking about you know marcus garvey now we have streets named after him in brooklyn but yeah. you could not find a more radical voice especially in in the 60s 70s let alone when marcus garvey was in harlem in the 20s and 30s yes. so it's hard to understate how radical the lyrical message of this album is. It was extremely threatening mm -hmm. um, to be talking so openly and explicitly about black nationalist themes. Mm -hmm. Black nationalist themes and also themes of ancestral trauma and reclamative history as mm -hmm. well. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. And he does it so eloquently on this album. Like It is. I, I, it's, we'll talk about the song Slavery Days, but I think that's just a masterpiece. It is. It's, in, it's in every beautiful. sense. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's also just the power of simple pop music to package and sell messages that more complex art forms can't really do. Yes. And this is why music can be so revolutionary yes. and also why simplicity sometimes is the best choice. Mm -hmm. when it comes to the work that you're doing as a politically motivated artist. So this record has some really interesting people playing on it, mm -hmm. which I feel we should note. They were working at the time with the Black Disciples, mm -hmm. which was really the preeminent group of session musicians in Jamaica at the time who were recording on a bunch of these albums. And that includes just for fans of this music and for people or for people that might know some of these other artists, the bassist Robbie Shakespeare, who later on formed Sly and Robbie and uh, Aston Bennett from the Wailers as well. Uh, Earl Chinna Smith from the Wailers, who was on guitar. And then also Tony Chin, who was on guitar and Leroy Wallace, who was on drums. 
Uh, and I, I just want to bring that up because there's definitely, this was definitely a scene happening, <laughs> you know, very much like uh, some of the other music scenes that we've been delving into. Uh, these artists weren't working in a bubble. They were all communicating with each other and figuring out what they were trying to say together. Yeah, absolutely. And just a quick note for the nerds out there. Like, please, he, he recorded his first two albums at the legendary and probably most famous Jamaican studio, Studio One. Yeah, Studio One. Uh, but this album was actually recorded at, I'd never heard of it, it's called Randy's Studio in Kingston. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack Ruby was the producer. Yes. And he kind of made his name with Burning Spear. Like this, yes. they both kind of came up together and made a name for themselves together. Jack Ruby, who named himself after Lee Harvey Oswald's assassin, <laughs> which is so badass. Cool. Which is it's amazing. Great. It's very, very, very cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, why don't we get into it? I feel like it's time to listen to a bit of Marcus Garvey and talk about it. Let's and do it. You'll hear a bunch of the themes that we've already discussed in the show. Can words come to pass? Marcus, can words come to pass? You can't get no food to eat. You can't get no money to spend. Oh, can't get no food to eat. Can't get no money to spend. Okay, so let's talk what a about it. Fucking bop. It is. It's a bop. It's a bop. It is. It's it's super well written. It's the first track on the album, yep. which I think is important to note because it's definitely, I feel like, a shots fired track. Yes. It very much lays out not only the style of the record, but mm-hmm. also this is the political content of the record. So let's talk a little bit about Marcus Garvey. Kyle, yeah. do your do your fifth grade, uh, your fifth grade history presentation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, first of all, just about the music. First of all, it sure. just it rocks. But also, you know, thinking also about, you know, in comparison to Bob Marley, who is like ascending fast at this moment yes um when this record came out you know this album and this song in particular is totally unsentimental in a way that sometimes bob marley's music can be yes um which i think why people kind he was more accessible than burning spear ever was or could be um this this music is uniquely and this song in particular is uniquely accessible musically and listenable but it's unmistakably aggressive and in your face and i just love it. it's it's such a unique balance that it strikes and now i mean it's a great song but i just want to talk a little bit about i just i want to introduce the marcus garvey as a person and his place in history please yeah um and and you know and and burning spear had a unique and kind of fascinating just obsession with marcus garvey He's still alive. He's still... I, I watched an interview with him 
like a few years ago and he's wearing like a Marcus Garvey t-shirt. Like he is just obsessed with yeah, Marcus Garvey. He's he's a Marcus Garvey uh, evangelist. Totally. That's sort of what he, I feel like that's sort of what he was put on earth to do was raise awareness of this person that a lot of other people maybe didn't know about. And yeah, and his content of his last few albums is there's still songs about Marcus Garvey exactly. on the albums. He feels like he still has more to say about Marcus Garvey, which and is he's, awesome. Yeah, yeah, and he's not he's not out of line in saying that insofar as he keeps, you know, uh, on the song Old Marcus Garvey, which is comes later in the album. Yes. It's pretty much about how everyone has forgotten about Marcus Garvey. Yes. And he's not wrong in saying that in that... Yes, Marcus Garvey is a very well-known historical figure, but he it cannot be understated how massive of an impact he had in his time. Mm-hmm. He kind of came of age politically in the, the turn of the 20th century. Eventually, he was deported back to his home. He's Jamaican, but he kind of came of age politically in Harlem in yes. the, at the turn of the 20th century. But he was the first black leader. He, he had just such a unique and dramatic impact in the history of this country and Jamaica. So I just want to say, so it's really unique. What So this song is called Marcus Garvey, but what is he saying, Burning Spear, about particularly Marcus Garvey? And he's talking about, he's saying Marcus Garvey, his, his words have come to pass. We can't get any food to eat. We can't have, we don't have no money to spend. Mm-hmm. So Marcus Garvey's message was unique and radical in a few ways. First of all, he recognized First, the injustices, uh, or, or not, for, first and foremost, I would say he recognized the injustices and the systemic inequalities that uh, existed in the United States and mm-hmm. also in Jamaica, which at the, time, at the time was still a colony. Yeah. But he also um, was the first to really um, advocate a platform of black self-determination, black self-confidence. You know, it's harder, you can't forget, like, the entire system was designed to, blacks were not only meant to feel inferior politically, but they were meant to, they were literally scientifically told that they are less lesser human beings. Yes. And so this beautiful, you know, Marcus Garvey's, entire philosophy was about self-confidence and he had this uh, kind of brilliant strategy where every in harlem he would have these parades where every black man would put on a military uniform Mm -hmm. and he they would each be given ranks Mm -hmm. you know they were allowed to have positions of leadership and Mm -hmm. medals and you know people from the time talk about going you know walking in these parades and feeling this unique sense of pride for the first time in their life. You know, Marcus Garvey is really the the, the beginning of the black pride movement that mm-hmm. kind of took, really took fruition in the 60s and 70s. And not only that, but, you know, controversially, he was a radical capitalist. And he talks and, and he talks about this in the song when he's talking about we can't get food to eat, we have no money to spend. Marcus Garvey advocated an entirely separate and distinct black nation that it functions similarly to the united states but the people in positions of power in that society are all black Mm -hmm. and 
it's kind of incredible. This his his message of black determination was he meant we need to have our own papers, mm-hmm. our own news. We need to have our own businesses, mm-hmm. and we need to have you know the famously he he bought this ship called the Black Starliner, mm-hmm. and he. It was a a trading vessel that he he literally was like we are going to import and uh, distribute our own goods and supplies. Mm-hmm. We are not going to every 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 step in the white dominated supply chain. He's he said we. I mean he was insane. It's it's insanely radical to think he was going to recreate the entire American and white dominated supply chain, but just make it run by blacks mm-hmm. and that is economic he was a capitalist yeah, yeah exactly i mean it's a cap he's a capitalist which it, it, you know it, it just makes you know he's such a fascinating figure and mm-hmm. such a unique figure in the history of american culture okay i'm sorry i'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> no i think I'm that that's on. really important because i think that it's really important to have that basis for who he is and why he was so interesting and why he's worthy of these discussions that we're still having now and a piece of art that came out in 1975 that was meant to bring attention to him and to galvanize the people of Jamaica and of the world. So I think it's totally important. And Um, just really quickly, I think it's important also because I think what Burning Spear is doing is focus on Marcus Garvey is a name that most people, you know, people should know. A lot of people do know. He has streets named after him. Yeah, He's at this a, point. A name yeah. you, at, you, you maybe got a sentence or two about him in school. Study his ideas. Study his ideas. Listen to what he said be, and listen to uh, and, and study up on and read about a lot of great black thinkers because there are great thinkers that we should learn from. And we should not just hold them up as it's not he's not just a poster on a wall or just a name on a street. He had ideas, very specific ideas that were very influential and very important. And we should all learn his actual ideas. Uh, Yeah, I agree. And another part about that as well, and something that this album, I think, does such a good job of is, you know, you know, our history classes and our social studies classes are uh, a white supremacist perspective of history. So, you know, uh, I didn't learn anything about Marcus Garvey in school at my uh, mostly white, you know, Canadian private school. And I think that it's just sort of up to us now to be doing the continuous work in order to be learning about alternative historical figures that could teach us just right now about the current moment and help us understand why we're at where we're at and how we can move forward from it together, you know? And I think that Marcus Garvey is, is, is one of those figures. And not all of his ideas were incredibly positive ideas in terms mm. of moving towards the future. He's yeah. really controversial. He yes. worked with the Klan because they had similar goals, for example. So, did, so did Malcolm X. Totally. Whose father was a Garveyite preacher. And yeah. Malcolm X was in stre- extremely influenced by Mal- uh, by. Uh, Marcus Garvey, Mark, Malcolm X being a hero of mine as well, and a hero to many, many of people. Also and, another, and, a similar person who has a million streets named after him. But study what he, what study his real ideas. Yeah, know? and and that's the thing is that is that people are complicated, and that this is a process in figuring out how it's all going to work. 
Right. And I think that it's important to understand that that's an ongoing process and one that like mm-hmm. someone who is now a poster on a wall or a street name, that they were going through a process trying to figure out how their methods were going to work for their entire life. A Marcus Garvey quote that I really like, because I think it, it, it is really tied into what this album is trying to achieve, is mm. liberate the minds of men and ultimately you will liberate their bodies. Mm. I think is, is really, really cool. It's just a good one, I feel. And just sort of swerving back into being about the song, something that I think is a really, there's a fascinating lyric in the song that re- really resonates with me in the current moment is, he who knows the right thing and do it not shall be spanked with many stripes. And I think that that's, such a great summation of how in action when you witness injustice is actually the same as racist action in terms mm-hmm. of if you witness a racist action and you do nothing that is also a racist action mm-hmm. uh, and i really like how this song deals with compl- complicity uh, in such a like smart and uh, focused way. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that interpretation. I, I just want to say that line also is very radical too, because, you know, from a Garveyite perspective, mm-hmm. it's, it's a balance of it, his audience is other black people. Yes, sure. And he's saying, we recognize that the cards that we have been dealt are complete bullshit. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and we have been subjected to, hundreds of years of, in the Jamaican context, colonial oppression mm-hmm. in the American context. I mean, yeah, in, in every, it's all the colonial uh, oppression and, and white supremacy. But he's saying, okay, we recognize that. And then he's also speaking to other black people and it's a message of self-determination. And in the context of the time, that was really radical mm-hmm. to say, it's kind of like, I'm black and I'm proud. Mm-hmm. That was the first time really it, that, type of message had been sent it's like we can we can fucking do this mm-hmm. you know and and it's 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 it it can't be understated how novel and radical that message was at the time it's also just like a really simple message that it's actually less punishing to be active when it comes to these civil rights causes as opposed to being passive that mm-hmm. being passive will lead to more and more and more problems which leads to unhappiness and mm-hmm. being active about it. It leads to, it le- it leads to solutions being created. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's important too about it. Now, before we move on, I just think this is so, it's an interesting part of the album's history is when it came out, the Rolling Stone interview or the not interview, the Rolling Stone review was generally positive. However, one of the th- minor criticisms, but uh, a very revealing criticism nonetheless, was that they claimed that the lead song would not make sense to anyone (laughs) who did not know about Jamaican culture. First of all, in retrospect, it's like, well, isn't that the point? Mm -hmm. Is that if somebody hears a song and doesn't know who Marcus Garvey is or doesn't know what Marcus Garvey did and they like the song, they might learn more about Marcus Garvey. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, isn't that the entire point of the song? But right. also, it's like it's judging the the validity of this album from mm-hmm. like a from a, a white perspective, and right. instead of it acknowledging that it's it's 
that the primary audience for this album isn't isn't white listeners. You know, take that author to clown town because he's making a fool of himself. I know. I, I had a feeling you would have a pithy uh, wrestler style <laughs> remark to take that. him to clown town. <laughs> take him to clown town. <laughs> All right, let's listen to a little bit of tradition, which comes closer to the end of the album, uh, which is the song that I chose for this week. Here's Tradition. one I think is a bit of a look into the fact that I think that this album comes from some interesting religious tradition mm. in mm. terms of its music. This is the the core musical stem of this song is this Y-O-Y-O-Y chant, which is repeated throughout mm -hmm. the entire song. Mm -hmm. And I, I would argue that this record is uh, on on religious tradition but i'd love to talk a little bit more about that with you and if we can maybe mm. define that together mm. Be because i think that we i think that we end up talking a lot about religious music on this show or like pop music that veers into sort of a religious place yeah and i think that there are sort of certain like certain like markers that we can set and i think one of them is like a repetitiveness and mm. sort of a meditative take on on what's happening with, mm. the, with the music what else do you think makes it religious yeah interesting I, well that's i mean it's it's funny you mention that because you know there's another song called jordan river on this yeah, album yeah you know uh, that reminded me of we've talked about the leuven brothers on this show mm -hmm. and i think there are in a weird way a lot of similarities between you know kind of you know Pentecostal Bible thumping country music and or like uh, gospel music and Jamaican Rastafarian music. So it, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Like, what in the um, structure of the song lends itself to you know being like religious music? I think I think maybe it is that like simple refrain in the chorus and then like direct appeals in the verse. You know, and, and I think a lot of yeah. this is a lot of this album is preachy, I would say it's it's an imploring other 
you know, on, on a lot of the songs, he's imploring other people to listen to him, to pay attention, to learn, to focus. And I think that unique perspective, I think that perspective is unique in pop music, you know, because I think a lot of, you know, someone like, you know, I could see someone like Chris Blackwell or any person trying to make money being like, don't tell people what to do, especially if you're being religious. For sure. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah, I think it's that unique uh, like a simple chorus and then a, 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 a declaration or like a commandment in the verse. Yeah, I agree with that. And sort of, I feel that there's sort of a responsiveness to it yeah, where, the, sure. where the listener can get involved for sure. in a certain way. Uh, yeah. And also the ideas in the song, I don't, I don't feel that ideas in the song are jingoistic, but I do feel like they're, simple and digestible to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's really effective and lends it to sort of more religious, sort of, it puts it in more religious framework. Well, one of the lines I really like from the song is, more than 2,000 years since I come here, because it is a comment on the diaspora Mm -hmm. where it's not taking that experience and removing it from the singer, you know, the line could could have been more than 2,000 years since my ancestors came here. Right, yes, yes. And instead it's more than 2,000 years since I, I come here, you know, is basically acknowledging that we pass down our ancestral trauma from generation to generation to generation. And I think that these are concepts that weren't mainstream concepts, I would say, really until the last few years, Yes. This is clearly a very, very well-read uh, artist thinking out how to express in the mid-70s. And mm-hmm. it's really powerful, and I think it's informed, this sort of work has informed our current discussions on these issues, you know? Exactly. And I think that's a really good point. Um, specifically, the one you, well, one, you're exactly right about, we, we take for granted, but this concept that the legacy of slavery is mm-hmm. it couldn't be more present uh-huh. um is is has has only been mainstream not too long ago so this was a very radical thing to say then but also exactly the point you made about putting it in the first person and the second person yeah because totally. he talks about this is i think a good transition to the next song slavery days but he frames ancestral trauma in the present he says he talks about it in terms of you and I, you know, him speaking as a black person, talking to other black people, saying this exists right now. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that this is, it's a form of PTSD that yes. exists in the present, basically. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it's, and it's important to, I think, think of in the general, in the larger conversation, it's important to think of it in that framework. And one that he's doing really elegantly in a song and maybe I don't, you know, I don't pretend to know Burning Spears' process when he wrote this, but I don't know necessarily if that came from a place where it was something he wanted to ad- address from a more studied perspective, or if it's just something that felt really right to him and the way the song needed to feel and what he was trying to say through the song. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that's, that's what I think makes music so powerful for stuff like to talking about issues exactly like this. So yeah, let's just do a little bit of Slavery Days. Let's do it. We will talk about Slavery Days.
That's the second track on the album. So I think it's important to note that because it's a really interesting one-two punch of the album starting with a song that's basically a history lesson into Marcus Garvey mm-hmm. and then segueing into the question of the listenership, which is, mm-hmm. you know, just do you remember? Do you right. remember? And you, you know, as we were just talking about you directly, mm-hmm. do you directly remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I kind of imagined him speaking to other Jamaicans, probably, mm-hmm. and being like, do you remember, meaning that it's it's possible for them to de- remember, as in, it's part of the collective memory of mm-hmm. all black people, which I think is a really interesting and unique, or not unique, well, unique for the time, unique for the time. It also takes the concepts of the the weight of this memory and the way that it's weighing down on current Jamaican society and making it very tangible as well. You know, mm. uses the metaphor there, pull it, big fat bull. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, the, the physical labor that was endured by the slaves has now basically been translated into unpaid uh, and subjugating mental labor for mm-hmm. the, for the people that he is trying to engage here, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. It's a really um, interesting perspective. And also, this is a just a, a, a Jamaican classic that I think has been covered a lot of times, remixed mm-hmm. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And it's just an extremely, extremely important song in the history of jamaican music and it's uh, you know i think this just segues really nicely into the fact that i love this album i think Mm -hmm. we we have um i think it's an important album to listen a good album to listen to right now Mm -hmm. but i think the message is listen to it yourself and let him you know hopefully this discussion has inspired other people to listen to the rest of the album in full Mm -hmm. and also learn more about Marcus Garvey and what he wrote and what he did and, you know, read more about Malcolm X and other great radical thinkers. If that is what this podcast has inspired you to do, to listen to this album and read more great black uh, thinkers from history than mission accomplished. Yeah, totally. And thank you for that, Kyle. Well put. Absolutely. You know, and and of course, we're not pretending to be an authority on black history, black culture, or the current Black Lives Matter movement. But, you know, something that I think is really great for for our white listeners out there, probably the majority of our listeners, you know, just to call it out, is that, you know, now is such a great time because uh, we're in such a current moment to be uh, educating ourselves and doing it through a variety of methods. And listening to an album like this just opens up to a variety of like really engaging conversations that you can be having, uh, be that uh, conversations with other people who are going through the same processes, 
conversations with people that might be a little far ahead with you and you're thinking about all this kind of stuff, conversations with people that maybe, you know, are going through a, a, a process that is really difficult for them. And then also, uh, this, is, this is opening up a conversation with, his, with history and putting the current moment in a historical context, which yes. I think is like the most of, important thing. Yeah. Well, you can't understand the present until you understand the past. And, 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 the, and it's important to understand the exactly the philosophical and political framework upon which a lot of the ideas that we are now many of us are becoming familiar with yeah the foundation upon which it is if you really want to understand it i don't think you can really understand it until you understand where it came from of course yeah absolutely of course yeah so this was you know i think a really good one for us to do right now for us to listen to right now and you know music is always a really, really good way to get a peek into the psyche of people who've been thinking about certain things maybe longer than you have. And that goes, mm -hmm. for, that goes for so many of the artists and so many different philosophies and ways to look at the world that we've examined on this show, you know? Mm -hmm. So, sure. yeah. And also, uh, Burning Spear is hanging out, you know, he's based out of Queens, so we could is show. He really? Yes, he is. Oh, is I didn't. Did you that. not know that? Yeah. No, I didn't know so that. So we could go and you know, like, show up at, at his door and, yeah. and like fanboy out over him, which I'm sure he would be really into right now. Probably <laughs> sure. not so much. Yeah. <laughs> keep your social distance from Burning Spear. We want to keep him safe. Please. Yeah. He's getting. He's getting up there. So. Yeah. Exactly. He's one of the people we need to look out for during the current for sure, state of things. For sure. For sure. Well, this has been Kick the Jukebox. Uh, I'm Louis Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. And yeah, you know, as we said before, rate and review us. Please uh, donate to uh, some charities that are doing really, really good work right now. That's part of the work. And we will see you around like a record. <laughs> Kick the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kick it a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah!